Welcome to another inspirational message by Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor at Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Beaumont, Texas. For more information about Church on the Rock and Ron Hammonds Ministries, visit cotr.com. So are you ready for the Word of God today? All right. It's going to be good. We're going to be going, first of all, to the book of Genesis, all right? And uh, we're going to read a couple different places in Genesis before we finish. But uh, specifically, we're going uh, to Genesis chapter 4. And today, the title of the message is Empty Hands. What in the world does empty hands have to do with anything? Well, we'll find out in just a moment. Empty hands. Now, today is a very special day on God's calendar. Today begins the Feast of Tabernacles. You know, maybe we'll hear a little bit more about that in a moment. But we just finished the year according to God's calendar, according to the Hebrew calendar. We just finished a year and just in the last few days started a new year. And God encouraged the children of Israel, commanded them to commemorate this new year with a feast. It's called the Feast of Tabernacles. And it points at a time, you can read in Revelation chapter 21, we won't read it today, about this upcoming time when God will create a new heaven and a new earth and wipe all of our tears away. And the Bible says he's ta- his tabernacle will be with us. Okay, Now, what, uh, what the Feast of Tabernacles does, just to give you a little reference, is it helps us remember what it was like before the blessings of God what it was like when the children of Israel came out of Egypt and they lived in a wilderness and they had to live in makeshift tents and houses. And so today, all over Israel and indeed all over the world with those who follow the Jewish culture and custom and uh, Messianic uh, 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 believers as well, is they are... They have built in the last week or so little booths, little, little houses, little uh, lean-tos with sticks, okay? Most of them. I mean, if, if, if you went with me to Israel now, you would find that even people that are living in nice palatial homes with warm beds outside, they have a little, um, you know, made out of branches. They have uh, a place, and many of them go out there for a week and live. And most of them just go out there and eat their meals during this week to remind them how good they have it and how it was before God delivered them. And to be thankful. Today is a great day. It's a day of feasting. It's a day of celebration for the harvest God gave over the last year. And, and today is a day that they bring their offerings to him so that, you know, their first fruits of their flocks and their fields, so that God can see that they're thankful for all that God did for them. And they remember what it was like before they had a nice house and before they lived in peace and before they had a warm bed, before they had a kitchen. And it blesses them. God blesses them for that next year to come. Being thankful for what God has done for us and showing our thanks is one of the ways God says that secures his continued blessing in our life for the future. Not going to heaven, but the blessings of God. 
that God bestows upon people, families, nations, generations that serve him and appreciate him and worship him and thank him and include him in their lives and their decisions. Well, that's what today is, all right? Have you found Genesis chapter 4? Perhaps this is a familiar story with you. If not, I encourage you to read the rest of the story when I finish. Verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, had another child, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. Now, Cain got mad, okay? And his, and his face, he just looked mad. He, his countenance fell. He just looked like he was an angry person. What was he angry about? He was angry because God favored his brother. He was angry because it looked like his brother did better than him. It looked like his brother was going to get more than him, was going to be more blessed than him, or, or, or maybe his brother would, would you know, be favored and become his leader or his ruler or his supervisor. Maybe he was going to end up having to work for his brother, and he was just so upset. So what did Cain do? Cain got so angry that he went out into the field, and when he went out into the field, he started arguing with his brother. I can imagine the argument. You know, you think, you're better than I am, don't you? You think you're smarter. You, you, know, you, you think God's going to bless you more. You think you have a right to, to, to be the head of the family now. You think you're going to rule over me, you know? And he argued with him. And in the argument, Cain ended up killing his brother Abel. Wow. In this familiar story, you know, uh, we know what time of the year it happened. It happened in this time of the year. The very first murder took place this time of the year, at harvest time, okay? Because it was at harvest time once each year that, that, that you brought the first fruits of your flock or the first fruits of your field to the Lord. You know, your, your, your animals would have, uh, you know, um, um, their, their firstborn, and you would grow them and fatten them up and, and inspect them and get them just right and then bring, you know, your best to the Lord. Well, it ends up that, that, that God favored Abel because Abel brought him something that cost something. Abel brought him the best of his flock. He brought him his first, you know, the, the firstborn. He brought him a fat one, you know, uh, whereas it appears Cain just brought something he had from the field, just brought some of his produce. You see, God's not real impressed with you giving him something that doesn't cost you anything. And that's one of the first things we learn about this story. Well, you know, I'm not too impressed if you give me something you don't care about either. You know, you give me a gift that you don't really care about, that you had extras just laying around, and you just pick it up, and here, here, you know, I want to, I want to, you know, you're so special, I want to give you this. And I realize it has been in your closet for 16 years, and you didn't care about it. You just found it, and you're looking for somebody you can dump it off on. 
bring me something that's overripe, rotten, you know, not, not shaped just right, you know, something that you didn't want. Well, that's how God felt. And he wasn't happy with it. And Cain got upset that God favored his brother more than him. And so Cain went out and started an argument over it. You think, oh, you think you're better than I am. I can imagine the argument, and we're free to, because God doesn't tell us everything. You know, uh, but, but he does tell us that this particular time happened at harvest time. You see, harvest time is also offering time. When God blesses us, and it was once each year that God blessed them with a harvest and blessed them with, you know, that, 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 that they, they, they would bring it. At this particular day, this particular season, they would bring it. Can you imagine walking into the temple, you know, with your basket filled with all of the very first fruits that God had given you? The biggest, the best, the ripest, the juiciest, the most wonderful, I mean, the prettiest. And, and bringing along your flock of the firstborn and the fattest and the best. And coming into a temple, into an outer court and, and, and bringing this and meeting your friends and family and saying, look what God blessed me with. Look, look what, and they're going, oh, wow. Man, look at the size of that pumpkin, you know? And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, and so this was the picture of what was going on. The Bible doesn't tell us, give us details of how Adam and Eve raised their children. We don't know. I mean, all of a sudden, you know, we see Adam and Eve in the garden and we see, you know, chapter 3 that they left the garden and they began to till and work the ground. And then all of a sudden now they have a couple of, of boys here that, that, that are old enough to take care of their own sheep and, and take care of their own fields. And, and, and we, and we kind of get there without the knowledge of how God, you know, uh, instructed Adam to raise them. But what we can see from this passage, we understand that Adam and Eve taught their children the importance of bringing your first fruits, of bringing an offering to the Lord, of all the things that God had blessed them with. We know that Adam and Eve taught them that at harvest time, you make sure you, you honor the Lord and you thank the Lord for all that he's given you. And we know that Cain didn't do that just right. Cain failed to do what Adam had evidently been doing and taught them to do and God wasn't pleased with him and it caused a family argument family division and it even caused you know a death fast forward about 2,000 years or so and we come to another picture of harvest time in the Bible in Genesis chapter 37, the Bible tells us about a young man named Joseph who was one of the 12 sons of Jacob. And Joseph this time is going to give us a picture of harvest time and what happened in a time of harvest, only it was a dream for him of harvest time. In Genesis chapter 37, verse 5, the Bible says, Now Joseph had a dream. And he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. You see this same family division here. What happened with Cain and Abel? You know, Cain saying, you know, you think you're going to be better than me? You think, you know, you're going to rule over me? Well, this is exactly the same thing we see at this very same season in Joseph's dreams, that he tells his brothers about the dream, and all of a sudden they say, you know, you think you're going to rule over us? 
You think you're better than us? You, and, 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 and family division began. Feuding began. And, 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 and so, you know, verse 6 says, And so Joseph said to his brothers, Please hear this dream that I have dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves in the field. In case you don't know what a sheaf is, uh, you know, you go out and you harvest stalks of grain. And you, you know, you, 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 you put it in one of those teepee-shaped stacks. Have you seen it? You tie a piece of grain around it and you set them out there to dry. That's, that, that's a sheaf, okay? And so here they were, binding their stalks of grain into these little sheaves in his dream. And, and then behold, he said... My sheaf arose and stood upright, and indeed your sheaf stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. Uh-oh. Cain and Abel, chapter 2. And his brother said to him, shall you indeed reign over us? You think you're supposed to rule over us? You think you're supposed to be in charge? You think you're the smartest? You think you're the best? You think that you got the only answer? You know, who do you think you are? Or shall you indeed have dominion and rule over me? So they hated him even more for his dream and for his words. Wow. It was harvest time in his dream. They were harvesting grain. Now, the story of Joseph and his brothers continue. You can read it in Genesis chapter 37, but basically the same thing that happened to, to Cain happened to his brothers. They became angry. They began to feud. They began to fuss. They began to fight. They began to argue. And ultimately they conspired together to kill Joseph. But thankfully, by the grace of God, they ended up only throwing him down in a pit and then selling him into slavery to the Egyptians. And it ends up that, that, uh, that they went home and told Daddy that some wild animal had killed his favorite son and brought such devastation to the family and brought such division in the family. And then these brothers ended up fighting and fussing and feuding for the rest of their lives, basically, and ended up ruining almost every day and almost ruined their whole lives. My goodness. What good does all the fighting do? Families fighting amongst themselves is such a waste of time, such a waste of energy, and such a waste of opportunity. Again, this happened at harvest time when they were gathering the fruit of the field. You know, all throughout the Word of God, you can see these same patterns happening throughout the Word of God. Even when the brothers of Jesus came to him at this same feast time, the Feast of Tabernacles, harvest time, and began to, to argue with him and began to, you know, uh, uh, tell him that, you know, he was just trying to make too much of himself. You know, do you think you're going to rule over us? You see, harvest time is a very special time to God, and the devil knows it. 
The devil knows that this is a very special time to God. Harvest time comes at the new year, the end of the old year, and us being thankful for all that God has done for us, for the opportunities he's given us, for the blessings he's given us. Look around and see how much God has blessed us. And beginning a new year with thanksgiving and with hope and with joy and with, with praising the Lord for all that he has done, hoping that the next year will be better than the last year. The devil knows that this is a very special time for God and the devil wants to do everything he can to separate you from the continued blessings of God and he attacks us at harvest time trying to divide the families trying to divide us ultimately from God how does the devil try to steal your harvest he makes every effort to get you distracted from all that God has done for you and all that God is doing for you and get your eyes on something that makes you not like the other person, makes you not like the other group, makes you not like, you know, uh, uh, something that's happening because those people think they're going to rule over us. They think they're better than us. And he starts that, yeah, 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 yeah. And we end up arguing and, and, and fussing and not wanting to come under someone else's, you know, uh, you know, uh, of leadership. We want to be blessed by God. We want to be the ones that have the final say. You know, we can do that in families. Come on, you see it with siblings. You see sibling rivalries. You see it in the workplace. Who does he think he is telling me I need to do it that way? Does he think he's a supervisor? We see it in school. Does she think she's better than I am? Does she think she's smarter than I am? You know, we see it with, with, with spouses. You know, you're not the boss of me. Oh, come on, this is good stuff. We see it in churches. I'm right, you're not. My doctrine is better than your doctrine. And if it looks like somebody thinks God's going to bless you more than me, and your church is going to grow more than mine, your denomination is going to grow more than mine, your group's going to grow more than mine, I'm going to have to find a way to bring you down a little bit. Oh, come on now. It's all the devil. Now, I don't give the devil much credit, but he's kind of got the market cornered on this one. He does his best. To divide us from our family, from our friends, and ultimately separate us from God and God's continued blessings on our life. We may not agree with everyone, and we may not be best friends with people that we see a little different than they do. But for goodness sakes, we can certainly keep from hating them and trying to hurt them and destroy them and kill them and malign them and, 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 and just continue to, to, to create a divide, an angry divide. I believe that every born-again believer in Jesus as Messiah is already abundantly blessed. We have been given the greatest opportunities known to mankind. If you are a born-again believer today, my goodness, you have been blessed by God. Do you know you have the greatest opportunity that any person has ever been given? Do you know that you are a light and you are in a dark world and you have been given a chance by Almighty God to be such a blessing to a world that is lost in darkness because you have the light? 
Do you know how wonderful it is for somebody to turn on a light when you're stumbling in darkness? Or you can just be a part of the stumble. You can just be a part of the darkness. I love it. You know, we're, we're about to go to India. I love it in, in India. I, I already know that when I'm walking in darkness or stumbling on this trip in India or anybody is, I can already tell you who's going to pull out the flashlight. It's Brandon Frakes. <laughs> he did it last year. We're all kind of going. He goes, turns the light on. Do you know how comforting it is for somebody to have a light and shine the light? Do you know what? He wasn't the only one with the flashlight, but he was the only one that turned the thing on. And then we got to England, and it was dark and cold and rainy, and he took his light and gave it to Brenda and let her have it so that she could see in the darkness. Do you know what a blessing that is? You see, you are the light of the world. We have an opportunity that, that others don't have, and that is to be a light shining in someone's darkness as they're stumbling through life. What an opportunity. However, many born-again Christians are being drawn right along with the devil's plan for this world to just walk along in darkness with others, distract and destroy both the blessings and the opportunities that God is willing to give us. Many Christians aren't shining their light. Let me tell you, folks, we are in the time of harvest. It is harvest time, not only, not only naturally, but spiritually. This is the season, today is the day that God has declared a feast of tabernacles. It's a time whenever people are bringing their first fruits to God in harvest time. We are also in a spiritual time when the devil wants to divide and distract and destroy and take us outside of the envelope of God's blessing and make us mad at our brothers and sisters, make us add to the darkness and add to the angry divide. Your blessings are abundant and your opportunities abound, but if the devil can make you angry like he did Cain, if he can make you angry like he did the sons of Jacob, then he can divide you from your family. He can divide you from your friends and ultimately from the blessings that God wants to give all of us. Last week, I heard myself say something and immediately I felt the Holy Spirit confirm in my spirit that this was a word from God. I mean, I heard it come out of my mouth. I don't want to seem spooky, but this is what happened. I heard the words come out of my mouth, and then I heard the Spirit of God settling on me. And I knew that, and, and I'll be so bold to tell you that, that it was an admonition from the Lord. God spoke to me. Let me, let me tell you what was happening I rarely listen to the news on radio or TV, and I even have a difficult time finding any print media news outlet that, that, that I can even listen to or trust or even want to listen to. 
I'm not searching for someone who, who agrees with me. What I'm searching for is someone who will just give me the facts and tell me the truth without all of the commentary. What I find is that every report is filled with opinionated, biased, negative commentary, blasting opponents in efforts to destroy their credibility, to bring them shame or to bring them pain without regard as to what is best for America, what is best for my community, what is best for a family. But they're only fighting for what is best for some political party or some special interest group. You know, I'm, I'm in the majority the far majority of Americans, just like me, we're fed up with it. We're fed up with the fighting and the fussing and the dividing. It just makes me want to vomit. What is happening? Can't anyone agree on anything? Is the almighty dollar and is the staying in power empty power is it worth that much is it worth dividing the family dividing the friendships dividing the workplace dividing the schools dividing our nation dividing generations is it worth that much to stay in power Cain is it worth that much sons of Jacob is it worth that much are you willing to destroy the family just because somebody else might be in power or somebody else might be approved or somebody else might have a good idea and they might not be in your camp. I'm fed up with it. You are too. Every question that is posed, every sidestepped response is vitriolic and inflamed with hatred. It seems that the people that we listen to and see, that they are, they are just waiting. They are, they are poised. They madly lunge straight for the jugglers, trying to rip out the life of anyone that's on the other side. Without regard to whether it might be something that would bring us one step closer to an answer, to help. I was sitting in a doctor's office last week and listening to the latest volley of political hate speech. You know what ought to be outlawed? Political hate speech. It was coming from both sides. By the way, I don't have a side. I don't know what to say when somebody brings up something political. I don't know what to answer. I don't know whether to say I'm for it or I'm against it because you know, I don't want to start an argument and a fuss and a fight and neither do I want to support an argument or a fuss or a fight. I just want what's right and what's best for the families of America, for my family, for our blessed nation. God has blessed us so much. Why are we fighting? It's Cain and Abel all over again. I don't know what to say. It's like being asked by a sibling, well, are you for mama or are you for daddy? Which one? And you don't know whether they're for mom or for dad. And if you say, I'm for mom and they're for dad, then you're going to lose a brother. And if you say, I'm, I'm for dad and they're for dad, then you're going to lose a mama. What is going on? 
as I was sitting there in that office waiting room, watching all of this hate speech and watching all of it, it, it was all just so stupid, so unproductive, so empty. What did it matter? I heard myself ashamed of what was going on, knowing that I too had participated in such junk, but it just watched over me. And I realized in a, in a shamed way that it was just, it was just the devil. And I heard myself say out loud, we are better than this. And that's when I heard the Spirit of God on the inside of me echo that. And it was, as I realized, an admonition from the Lord coming out of my own mouth saying, we are better than this. What is anyone doing to build our roads, to strengthen our bridges, to help the homeless, to better our schools? What is anyone doing to pay down our national debt, to preserve our public image and world image? What is anyone doing to protect our national borders and yet invite the needy into our haven? What is being done to keep our citizens safe? To, to provide for elderly care, to ensure disaster relief. Tell me, what is anybody doing to keep the guns out of the hands of those who want to hurt us and in the hands of those who want to protect us? What is anyone doing? Can't we figure this out? Can't we stop fighting and start fixing? Someone might have a good idea, and it may not come from your camp. Not to mention the desperate need for America to wake up and realize that God has blessed us so much and only God has been our great blessing and our security and our nation needs him. And hopefully if we will turn to him, he will continue to bless our nation. Issues and answers are no longer judged on their merits, but rather on who proposed them. If one side said it, the other side is against it. It happens in homes and not just in Washington, D.C. in the White House. It happens in our houses. If one person wants it, the other person don't. And it doesn't matter what it is. It's not based on merit. It's based on aggravation, irritation. It's based on what happened to Cain and Abel. It's based on what happened to the, to the sons of Jacob. We get to a place where we just want to say, well, you think you're better than I am? You think you have the right answer? You think you're smarter? You're not going to rule over me. I can't let you win because if you win, I lose. And I will lose my power and I'll lose my position. And, I, and you'll, you, know, you, you, you might lord it over me. It's the devil bringing division. Come on. Therefore, I'm against it. We've got to stop that. We have got to stop that. Surely if our leaders and our educators and our 
celebrities and our pastors and our parents and our media would just spend half as much time on an answer as they do on trying to find a way to strategically outmaneuver the other one so no one gets credit but them. You know, we could probably solve every problem we're facing. I want you to know what's going on here is the devil, and people are falling for it right and left. Right in the middle of all the blessings and the opportunities we have to do something great and to really help the needy and to leave the next generation in a better position than we found it, Right in the middle of all that, the devil is doing his best to bring us down and divide us. Believe me when I tell you we are better than this. If you haven't noticed, our families are divided in America. If you haven't noticed, our communities are divided, our government is divided. If you haven't noticed, even our churches are divided. Remember... I said these things happen at harvest time. You remember? About the time that God really blesses us, all of a sudden the devil comes out and wants to distract us from, from realizing how much God can do. And he wants to, us to get on our eyes on, you know, we just don't want to be with them. We just don't want them to have anything to do with telling us anything. Well, it's harvest time again. Today, as I said on God's calendar, is the day of the year that he has chosen for us to celebrate a Feast of Tabernacles, which is also called the Feast of Ingathering. You know, uh, it's a time when, when people were to bring their corn and their new wine and their oil to the house of the Lord and thank him for all of his blessing. And then in that thanksgiving for God to feel like you gave him something that cost you something. You gave him your best, and he therefore was going to invest in you for another year. You know, God blesses nations that bless him. That's the reality. Look around. Look around the world today. Deuteronomy 16, 16 tells us about three important feasts. Three times a year, all your male shall appear before the Lord your God in a place which he chooses at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is Passover, speaks to us of salvation. We're supposed to come before God in the Feast of Salvation. God wants you to be saved, okay? It used to be once every year because a year was the cycle of sacrifice. Now it's once every lifetime. You need to be saved in your lifetime because that is the cycle of sacrifice for you. Jesus died one time for all sins forever. And so in your cycle of sacrifice, you are to be saved once and for all. The Feast of Passover. It's God's will that you appear before him at Passover. Number two, at the Feast of Weeks, which is the Feast of Pentecost. God wants you to be filled with power to be a witness. That is what this agrees to. And number three is the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Ingathering. One day God is going to gather us to himself. You can read about it in Revelation chapter 21. A new heaven, a new earth, wipe away all our tears, and God's going to, uh, you know, tabernacle with us. And it'll be based on all the blessings he gave us because he now wants to start a new day and really bless us for eternity. 
and there will be no fighting, no fussing, no division, no murder there. And he says at this Feast of Tabernacles, and they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. Cain brought an offering to the Lord, but it was an empty-handed offering. It meant nothing to him. You know, today I can pull $100 out of my pocket, and if I had $100 in my pocket, <laughs> and I can give it to whatever the need is, and it doesn't matter to me. It doesn't make a difference to me. It doesn't cost me. It wouldn't mean anything. It'd just be any $100. God's not looking for your money. He's looking for your heart. He was looking for Cain's heart. He wasn't looking for another apple. God didn't want another melon. God wanted his heart. He wanted Cain to pay attention and to honor him and to realize that it was God who blessed me. It was God who was God who sent Jesus into my heart. It was God who filled me with his Holy Spirit. It was God who gave me a loving family and who gave me opportunity and time. It was God that blessed me in this last year, and I need to realize it, and he wants my heart. He wants me to recognize that he is my blessing. If we want to have God's blessing on our nation, on our family, on our life, we need to offer him something that might cost us something. Let me tell you what I'm going to offer God this new year at the Feast of Tabernacles. These, these three things I'm going to offer God, I would just ask you to consider offering it yourself. Number one, refuse to be a part of the angry divide. I have declared that I refuse to be a part of the angry divide. The empty divide. It doesn't mean that I don't have an opinion. It doesn't mean I have a side. I'm not going to lose my convictions. I'm not going to throw away what I believe. But I'm going to stop the empty arguments just from an angry, divisive standpoint. I'm not going to try to just tear down and kill somebody just because I don't want them getting credit for having a good idea. Come on. Brenda, I'm not going to do you that way anymore. Come on. You know, studies show that the more educated and the more successful a person is, the more they are willing to disregard truth that does not support their opinion. Let me repeat that. The more educated and the more successful a person is, the more they are willing to disregard truth that does not suit or support their opinion. The smarter and the richer you are, the more you're willing to disregard something somebody else says because you don't want them to appear smarter or you want your opinion supported. You want your stuff taken care of. Don't be that way. Come on. Let's stop the fighting and start the fixing. 
Let's stop agree, uh, you know, disagreeing with everything. Let's start agreeing with the things that are right, even when it comes from the mouth of somebody we don't like. Somebody that we believe is wrong. When they say something right, come on, it, that's the only thing that's going to move us forward. Number two, I'm making a commitment this year not only to refuse to be a part of the angry divide, but also to pray for our leaders, to confess the word of God over their lives, and to command all spiritual darkness to leave them in the name of Jesus. I'm going to cover them. I'm going to cover our, our you know, our leaders, our community leaders, our church leaders, our denominational leaders, you know, our government leaders. I'm going to cover them in prayer. I'm going to confess the word of God over their life, and I am going to command the spiritual darkness to leave them in the name of Jesus and for them to be set free from this angry divide and to see the glorious Christ. I want to shine a light. And number three, I'm going to dare to reach across the aisle. Reach across the aisle. Not like Cain did with a rock. I'm going to reach across the aisle. You see, someone has to take the first step. Someone has to make the first move. Someone has to be the one God will use. In your neighborhood, at school, in the workplace, on social media, Someone has to take the first step, reach across the aisle. It's not saying, well, I want Abel to become my God, or I want Joseph to become my ruler. It's saying that I don't want to kill him trying to secure me another year in Congress. And I'm not going to support anybody that does. We are better than this. We are better than this.